It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back, fight fans, to the big fight reaction for some what great fights that happened this weekend. We really enjoyed this weekend. I've really enjoyed seeing some of these fighters in action and seeing some of the progressions that have been made over the course of the weekend. And I'm glad to be back home with you, Johnston. You're back. Lukey stepped in, kindly stepped in for you for the last uh, couple of weeks, couple of shows, and you're now back to give your thoughts, feelings, and opinions on on this weekend just gone and. You know, I'm going to pass this straight over to you because we've not heard from you from a couple of shows, and I really want to know like your first initial thoughts before we get into the deeper talking points about Errol Spence's victory and obviously Conor Ben's emphatic performance. Yes, uh, thanks for uh, Lukey stepping in. Uh, done a great job as usual, um, and uh, it was a good weekend. I enjoyed the weekend of boxing. I thought Friday night fights was was good fun. I have to say uh, there was one fight in particular, which was Sam Gilly and Drew Brown, which I think is a contender for fight of the year already. Um, speaking, it seems like every week we're getting fight of the year. Um, I was pleased. First time I watched Daryl Spence. I've, I've seen that fight a couple of times now, you Gaston Spence, a uh, couple of times. So the first time I watched it, um, I thought we'd done great. I thought, especially the seventh round, he was outstanding. Uh, but I think there were flaws there. I watched it again and I think he, maybe I was a little bit harsh on him. Uh, and I think actually it was a decent performance against you, Gas. We'll go into that in a minute. And I was, I, I wasn't surprised with Conor Ben's performance. Um, honestly, Van Herden, he's an old guy, hadn't been in the ring for a while, inactive. So I'm not surprised he blasted him out as quick as he did. Although I did suspect it would go a little bit further than than it did go. Uh, but other than that, as a whole, I thought it was a decent weekend of boxing. It was. So we'll go to the main talking point. Obviously, Errol Spence picking up that WBA super 
welterweight title by beating Jordanius Ugas on Saturday night, early hours of Sunday morning. And you mentioned a couple of points straight away there, Johnston, about, you you know, you've had the chance to watch it more than once now and you felt like the first time you watched it, you know, he was all right. He wasn't the fantastic. You watched it again and maybe he was being a bit harsh on him. I think what we saw from, from this fight with Errol Spence is that something I kind of suspected talking to Lukey on the preview show about it is like how long has Errol got left in reality does he does he step back a little bit is he slowing down a little bit is he the same and I think what we've had answered is that there isn't I don't think there's many more fights left in him if I'm being totally honest I don't think there's much more left of Errol Spence that he's going to be able to give and it sounds absolutely crazy talking in that regard but he is 32 years of age now. He's not getting any younger. I think he looks younger than 32, don't get me wrong. But he is 32. He's had some hard fights. He's had some issues outside of the ring. That horrific crash that he came out of as well, remember. And, you know, he's had injuries that, are, that he sustained as well that have caused him to have a little bit of inactivity over the years as well, which hasn't helped his, his career. But every time he gets back in the ring, he proves everybody wrong. He proves everybody that... He is, he is the top-level fighter in, in the welterweight division. Some might say that is Terence Crawford, of course. And that is, is why we need to see that fight and, and why we'll get onto that moment of talking about this soon. But I just want to reflect back on the fight with Ugas. I knew it was going to be a difficult fight at times for him, but I was confident he was going to win this fight. And I wasn't far off predicting the, the rounds that he was going to stop him in. And it ended in round 10. But it wasn't as easy as that, really. I think one of the most notable moments of that was when Errol Spence got badly hurt in the six. And Ugas put it on him. And I'm thinking, we've never really seen Errol Spence get hurt like this. The rope saved him. I think maybe you know that could have been called a knockdown because the ropes literally saved him from going down in that sixth round and we did see flaws in that fight against Ugas but then is that just us discrediting Ugas and saying he he wasn't good enough or you know this was going to be a bit of a walk in the park it wasn't that much for me a walk in the park as what I think people expected it to be but ultimately he did walk away with that title he did get the victory he did stop Ugas Ugas's face was a mess at the end of it I'm not surprised it needed to be stopped. He was literally partially deformed after the end of the fight. And all the memes come out the following day about, you know, this is an example of you don't play boxing. And they put a picture of Ugas's face on there. You can understand kind of why the fight was stopped given the state of Ugas's face after the punishment he had sustained in the fight. But I just really am interested to sort of know now, Johnston, from you... Overall, was it was it a good performance, looking back on it now? Was it a good enough performance to beat Terence Crawford? Was it a good enough performance to beat Terence Crawford? I don't think it was. I think that's the fact we need to see. I'm just wondering why, what you think about that performance overall from Spence. And also from Ugas as well, because you know, Ugas was written off by many of us. Yeah, um, I th- I th- the thing is with Ugas, I thought that... Um, I- I- I was a bit disappointed with his performance. I felt that there were moments in the fight that he could have followed up on certain situations, but he was hesitant to. He did the same things against Manny Pacquiao. He didn't quite punish Pacquiao when, when he had Pacquiao in, in, in uncomfortable situations. I believe that the same with, with Spence. I mean, Spence made an absolute rookie error 
by losing his gum shield and then in the middle of have in the middle of the fight he decided to try and find it that's what i see the slow motion he's literally lost his gum shield which he says is just bad from his side in terms of it doesn't fit his teeth properly he has to really bite down to keep it in and he it, it dropped out of his mouth and then he's literally at that split second decided he's gonna go and pick it up he's like looking for it and you guess took advantage and hit him three times and he's, as you say, he would have gone down if he didn't bounce back off the ring. He was in trouble. And again, I felt that Ugas had a moment there where he could have pressed it and he was a little bit too patient and he allowed Spence to, to recover. Also, with the help of the referee, Lawrence Cole, by the way, who decided to stop the fight while Spence was in a bit of difficulty, which was terrible refereeing. I was really disappointed with Cole, actually. I thought he was poor all night. And uh, I think that helped Spence. It gave Spence those valuable extra seconds to really recover. And then when he did come out for the seventh, he produced probably his best round of the fight, which was a stunning seventh round, using his jab work in the body, beautiful uppercuts. He looked brilliant. He looked like the Errol Spence of old. But I think the biggest problem with Spence is his inactivity. You know, in any sport across the world, no matter what sport it is, if you're not active in it, when no matter how good you are, when you go into the ring against fighters like you guys who are... At this moment, the time was top of his game, uh, probably in the best, in his little purple patch, which I like to call. And um, you look a bit rusty at times. And I think the flaws were there to see. A lot of people have praised Errol Spence and his performance and said, you know, people have mentioned the crash, mentioned the eye injury. In the end, neither of them really came into play. I think the one thing which I really did see, especially watching it the second time, is he was very uncomfortable to the body. And and that's what you guess didn't follow up on. Whether it was the eye, whether he's... Because, you know, Errol Spence started targeting that eye as well, clearly. When he was in trouble, he just kept pounding away at it, which is what you do. You find a weakness and, and you continually find the target and, and it got stopped, rightly so. But for me, maybe if he didn't have that cut and have that bad eye, you guess may have pressed it. I'm hoping he would have, but so that's where I was a bit disappointed. Against... Someone like Crawford, Crawford will put the pressure on. And if he finds the target, he will mix it up to the head and to the body. And I, I just think it's, it's signs of, as you've mentioned, you know, he's been in the business for such a long time now. It feels like he's been around forever. He's only 32, but he is the wrong side of 30. And will his career decline before he gets the big fight with Crawford? I mean, the same could be said for Crawford, but there were flaws. And I think the problem is is the weight i don't i think he's beginning to struggle at welterweight and i wouldn't be surprised if he moves up so i mean potentially we could see this fight with crawford happening at 154 rather than uh 147 that's a very good point 154 instead of 147 could quite well be the weight it ends up being at if it doesn't happen in the welterweight division i think the problem we have is we want to see a undisputed welterweight champion. We want to see that, don't we? Yeah. You know, Errol Spence has got three belts now and Crawford has the other, the WBO. So really, this is the fight that people need to see in the welterweight division. We need to see an undisputed welterweight champion. That's what we want to see. Whether we get it, again, is another question because, you know, on that undercard, as a side note, uh, you had Stanionis winning the regular version of the WBA welterweight title against Butiev. 
So does that now put him automatically in line to fight Errol Spence? Do the WBA then make sure that that fight has to happen before Spence could fight Crawford? Or even the WBC or IBF could get involved and say Spence needs to fight their mandatory challengers? So there is a lot of boxing politics involved with it and the boring boxing business hour, as, as Lukey likes to say. Really, for us, we just want to see him fight Crawford. If it's at 147, fantastic. We get to see who is the undisputed welterweight champion who are who, who is the best out of that division in recent times and it's it's one of them two fighters simple as that it's, it's got to be one of them two if it doesn't happen it'll be a travesty if it happens at 154 will it quite have the same effect or star power or attraction and appeal to it as it would be at 147 because i don't know if it will i'm not saying it wouldn't totally because it's a great fight it's a it's a fight against two guys that have been at the top of the game for a very long time both undefeated in the boxing careers it's still an attractive fight but at 147 it's for the undisputed welterweight championship simple as that that that's the attraction behind it is seeing an undisputed welterweight champion if it goes up to 154 it's not as attractive until they both get titles again so that that's the difficulty for me is like I want to see it at welterweight. If Errol Spence is struggling, which I suspect there is a little bit of an element of it, like you say, Johnston, I think maybe there could be a problem there. You mentioned the issues with the body shots he was taking. I've not seen him wince, and it was quite evident he was wincing as well in the fight yeah. uh, multiple times. And I think he, he, he struggled to hide that fact. So obviously anybody he fights next... It's going to target that. If you've got any sense, they're going to target that. They're going to try and work that body if he has to fight a mandatory. Or whether he fights Crawford, they're going to be looking at it and thinking, this is where Spence is, is ripe for the taking. Especially if a lot of people feel he's, he's struggling to make the weight. So we're going to have to wait and see now how it plays out. I just hope like the sanctioning bodies don't mess this up now and actually allow us to have this undisputed welterweight fight. I mean, we've seen it at the we've seen it at the super lightweight division. Obviously, the Josh Taylor undisputed champion there. You know, we have seen it in the cruiserweight division with Alexander Usyk. Let's have it in one of the glamour divisions in boxing. Let's have it in the welterweight division. Let's see an undisputed champion. It's got to happen. These two fights, the fighters have got to get in the ring together. 154 for me is nowhere near as appealing as 147 because of the magnitude of the fight at 147. I really want to see this fight. It's as simple as that. I really want it. And and for the sake of boxing, we need to see it. It's not just a case of I, I selfishly want to see it. There's many people that selfishly want to see it. But for the sake of the sport and making the sport better in some small way, shape or form, seeing this fight happen at 147, seeing one unified champion, one undisputed champion, is what helps the sport in a way progress because we have all these problems with all these different titles. If we see one champion, it makes it a little bit more attractive to, to the outside audience who want to come in and see this one guy, this one guy who rules the division rather than four separate fighters and maybe even six or seven separate fighters holding portions of certain organising body titles, which is not what we want to see, which has always been a big gripe of ours when we've done our boxing wishlist shows for the past few years. We've always talked about that. So 147's got to happen. If it doesn't happen at 147, it isn't the same fight for me. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you, and, I, and you're right in terms of you know with with so many different titles and and four major titles, people actually looking at all four of those titles and and saying they're all legitimate, you know, in their own right. The trouble is, as you say, with these sanctioning bodies, that you know it's difficult to identify a champion. We've all got arguments. You've, people have got their favourites. I mean, Spence Junior wins against Ugas in a unified fight. He's now considered to be the main attraction and the main guy, but. They almost fail to mention Crawford when you're listening to any Spence Jr. fight. And the same flips over with Crawford. You know, if Crawford wins these fights, he's the best guy. Look, the only way you ever find out who the best is, is is to have a fight. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's, it's, it's just it's how it is. I mean, uh, Crawford Spence Jr., in terms of its technical ability, in terms of that fight, just in general, beats any fight for me, hands down. Even if we did have Joshua uh, Fury or Fury Usyk, you know, or Canelo against, I don't know, Golovkin, but Golovkin's sort of towering out a bit. I think, you know, he's going to have a bit of problems in their third match. But in terms of just technical ability, I think this is this is top of the tree. You know, and I think it also shows that even even when these guys are slightly in, inactive, as in Crawford and Spence Jr., they're that far ahead of everybody else in the welterweight division that they still come out on top. That's why they have to fight each other. It's as simple as that. You know, it's having the, just listening to these silly arguments with, oh, he's he's going to whip him. And, and you've got one of the Charlotte brothers saying, oh, that he's going to, Errol Spence is going to whip uh, Crawford's ass. Look, it's all talk. You know, that's all it is. And we're not interested in that. I think if you're going to do it, do a do a two-fight deal with a potential of a, of a trilogy. I mean, Crawford's 34, Spence is 32. Crawford is now no no longer aligned with with um, Bob Arum anymore. You know, he could even sign with PBC. You know, if the, the, fact, is, the fact of the matter is, if he wants this fight, he, he doesn't actually need to join anyone he can he can make the fight himself he's in that position why can't you why not just literally have two fight contract let's fight a 147 for all the titles and then depending how you're going if 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 they're not feeling too great maybe have have something in the contract where you say the second fight could take place at 154 but this is it has to happen it has to happen for the sake of the sport and as you say Hopefully the politics do not get involved and we don't get in that same situation where you've got a lot of people saying who's ducking who and, you know, it gets boring. It really does. It, it gets very frustrating and very boring very quickly. And I think this fight's dragged on way too long now. It has to happen. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the 
we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yep, could be in danger of being another Brook versus Can. That happens way past the best. Oh, yeah, please I no. <laughs> I know, we just don't want it. We don't want that to happen. It's as simple as no, that. please. <laughs> So we're just going to round up the rest of that card uh, just briefly before we move on to Conor Ben versus Chris Van Hayden and that fight and, and the talking points around that. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, Imantis Stanionis picked up the WBA regular version of the World Welterweight title, beating fellow undefeated fighter Radzab Butayev, picking up that victory via split decision. Uh, Luke, he mentioned Cody Crowley about being a great fighter. I'd not really seen much of him if anything, of him. And I got to see him. I thought he he got a great victory. Stopped beating Jose Cito Lopez, knocking him down in, in round seven and beating him via unanimous decision over 10 rounds. Jose Cito Lopez has been around forever. He's, he's way past his best. We appreciate that. But this is a, a great victory for Crowley going forward. Isaac Cruz in the lightweight division got that TKO Fifth round stoppage over Eucoris Gamboa, which I thought was a significant victory for him. We've seen him get his loss to Giovanta Davis, but give Davis a, a hell of a fight. And now they're talking about putting Cruz in against Ryan Garcia in the lightweight division. A fight that I think will have a lot of people wondering whether Ryan Garcia could actually get through that fight, given how tenacious Isaac Cruz is in the ring. And they were the, the main talking points for, for us as British fighters fans anyway they were the main fights that you know we wanted to keep an eye on over in the states this past weekend but i want to turn our attentions now back to the uk and obviously talk about the zone card headlined by connor ben versus chris van heerden you said it at the top of the show when you came on to the episode johnson about what you thought was going to happen and how it happened and maybe it happened a little bit quicker than what you expected but it was inevitable that Chris Van Heerden was going to get beaten off Conor Ben. Conor Ben's got to be one of the most improved fighters in the UK, uh, if not the most improved fighter. I think many people have that consensus of him being that guy who's improved so much from his early days and his life and death situations with Cedric Paynard when he really got away with that first fight, as we've mentioned many times when we've spoke about Conor Ben, but... He's improved dramatically. He adapted really well after that first round against Chris Van Heerden. He got caught a couple of times with counter lefts. And for me, I was thinking he needs to adapt straight away. And he did. And it was great to see. And it was great to see him come on strong in that second round and put that pressure on and eventually stop Chris Van Heerden with a great right hand, which for me just shows that Conor Ben has improved. His power's improving, if not at its probable best at the moment, he seems to be knocking out these guys who are really very durable fighters. You know, they mentioned on the commentary, and I don't always go off the commentary, but something that they mentioned was the fact that it took Errol, Spels, Errol Spence longer to knock out Chris Van Heerden than it did Conor Ben. Albeit, this was obviously years before when Chris Van Heerden fought him. Much better fighter, less inactive probably at that point. Obviously, Conor Ben's come at him when he's 34 years old and he's not been in the ring for a couple of years. So, you know, it does make a massive difference, as you said. But I was impressed with his performance. You can only take so much out of a, a, a short, rounded fight like that when it's ended in the second round. But from what I have seen again, 
he's adapted well. He's adapted well to fighting a southpaw. He made the necessary adjustments and he's got a great stoppage. And now all the talking point is about what he does next and who he fights next. But before we do that, what did you think of his performance? I Look, I, I'm not going to knock it. He's got rid of Van Herden in two rounds. Uh, I do think Van Herden wanted an easy payday. I, I sort of felt that um, Eddie Hearn has, uh, I don't know, he's, it's like he's had a chat in his ear or something. He, he was throwing out Van Herden's name um, literally after he knocked out Algeria, wasn't he? And and I saw it was a bit sort of like, yeah, you know, fine. Um, you know, it, he's he's a guy that's been there, done that. I mean, look, he fought Errol Spence seven years ago, and that was when Errol Spence, you know, he fought him in Canada as well. Errol Spence come over, to, you know, to Sheffield and, and dealt with Kel Brook. You know, these were the times when I we was talking about Errol Spence as you know, this guy is is just fearless, and now there's question marks about him. But Van Herden was nowhere near the same fire. He was not interested. It was almost inevitable that as soon as he went down, he was never getting up. And, and, I, and I honestly felt that he could have, but he weren't interested. He weren't interested at all. He come for a payday. He did. And um, yes, it, the guy, you know, it's, it's a decent name on Ben's record. And I'm not knocking Ben, and I'm not necessarily knocking Eddie Hearn. But I think the fact of the matter is he's way better than that level. But it's very difficult, isn't it? Because it is such a competitive division when you look at the world weight division. It's hard to navigate your way through it without taking any sort of criticism. You're always going to get criticism. I mean, even Virgil Ortiz Jr. will get criticism for his fight that, you know, he pulled out of in the end. But, like, you know, against McKinson, um, there's, it's just going to happen. These guys that are on the verge, Ennis fought him, uh, Van Herden, and, and it was stopped in a round after a really bad cut. Ennis probably would have done the same thing that Connor Ben did to him. Uh, unfortunate for, for for Connor, he didn't cut him; he just pounded him down. And uh, look, Connor's calling out the names. I mean, they're they're, they're throwing out a few names. Uh, they they know themselves; they're nowhere near ready for Crawford and Spence Junior. But I know Aviencian's a name they're they're looking at maybe potentially getting a fight. And Kelbrook, they, they threw that name in the mix, but apparently Kelbrook's what is he asking for ten million quid or something? And they're not going to get ten million if he fights Connor Ben. It's just not going to happen. So he's looking for a last payday. I mean, can't come in the ring, can't sort of looking at it. He, he can earn a bit of money from, him, but he's going to get beat up by Connor. Um, no, it, it, it's a fight that potentially could happen. I mean, for me, if I'm personally, I would like to see like um, Connor Ben and Josh Kelly. I think I don't see why that don't happen. Um, is is Josh still fighting at welterweight? I'm assuming he is. He's been a bit quiet since the Aviencian defeat. I, I would rather Connor and Josh Kelly get it on in the summer. I think that's a great fight for Britain, and then that will show just how good he is. I don't want to see him fight Kelbrook, if I'm being honest. I don't want to see him fight Armani no. Khan. I'm not interested in any of them two fights, albeit they are in the top three in the British welterweight rankings at the moment. And and quite strange, if you look at the, the rankings to the British welterweights, Conor Ben's not fought one of them in the top 10. He's not fought one no. top 10 welterweight fighter in the UK yet. So why not why not fight someone in the, in the UK top 10? But... Eddie Hearn feels he's, he's above that. It's quite obvious he feels he's above that. So he's now looking at the top 10 in the world as opposed to the top 10 in the UK. If you look at the top 10 in the world, Conor Ben just sits outside it. According to BoxRec, he's actually at number 11, whereas just below him at number 12 is Iamantis Stanionis, who's just won a portion of the WBA welterweight crown. But yet BoxRec have Conor Ben 
and number 11 above him. And then you look at the fighters above Conor Ben on this box rec rankings list. Uh, you've got Boots Ennis above him at number 10, Avenincian at number 9, Cody Crowley, who we've just been speaking about, Virgil Ortiz, Mikey Garcia, Kel Brook, surprisingly in at number 5, Jordanius Ugas, Keith Furman, Errol Spence and Terence Crawford. So, I mean, you look around them names, is he ready for any of them names yet? The only one that screams out to me is probably Avenincian because... Avenintian is a guy who's been fighting a lot on the UK shows. He's been promoted a lot on this side because he's got Neil Marsh and Carl Grease behind him. So, you know, we know of Avenintian here in the UK. We know what he's capable of. We've seen what he did to Josh Kelly. We've seen what he's been doing to his opponents. For me, that is the fight I personally want to see because he is a name that will fill an arena. Him and Conor Ben would fill an arena in the UK. That makes perfect sense from not just a progression standpoint, but a business standpoint as well. If I'm Avenintian, why would I want to take the fight with Conor Ben, if I'm being honest? Because I feel Avenintian's mm-hmm. further forward in his career. If I was Avenintian, yeah. I'd be looking above him. And I'd be looking at the likes of Kelbrook, Mikey Garcia, Keith Thurman. These are the fights I would want. But money talks. And if they can make a good enough deal, there'd be no reason why Avenintian wouldn't want to take that fight. Because I think if he... What what does he have to gain from beating Conor Ben at the moment, other than beating a name on the way up? He doesn't have a great deal, in my personal opinion, but who knows? The money could talk with this one. But I think the other names they were mentioning, Cal Brook, no. He's just, yeah, okay, he's ranked quite highly by Boxwreck, and I'm not sure where he's ranked by the other organisations, but why, why Cal Brook? What what what's what is it about Kel Brook now at this point of his career that'll actually give Conor Ben something different? Is it because you know he's still a, a a name? Yeah, okay. You know, for me, I'll 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 concede the fact that he does still carry a a reputation at this stage of his career. But again, if Conor Ben's to beat Kel Brook, you know what people are going to say? They're just going to say, yeah, well, he was past it anyway. <laughs> so you can't really, you can't exactly. really win. You can't exactly. win the argument, can you? So who who does he fight then, Johnston? Who who are the names that well, he should yeah, be fighting? I think I mean for me, David Evansen's a fight further down the line. I think you'd be silly. They'd, they'd be silly to match him with David Evansen. I think David Evansen beats Conor Ben now. Uh, no matter how good he's been at the moment, he has been knocking over some old fellas that have been around in the business and, and are savvy enough to understand the game. But look, they they're way beyond their bests, way beyond. And even then. You know, how good were they when they were at their best? They weren't good enough even then. Um, Connor, I know he's on his way up. Look, I'm not knocking it. You know, it's, it's about getting bums on seats. You know, I know Lukey mentioned it. It's about building a hype around Ben. But you've got to be very careful. It's David Evansen showed against Josh Kelly, who has been inactive. And I'm not quite sure whether he's going to move up or not. But I, for me, I just think Josh Kelly and Ben, I just think that makes sense for Connor, for both of them. And I think, I mean, if you're going to go down any route, maybe Danny Garcia or Mikey Garcia, because they're two big names and they're not massive hitters in the welterweight division. Danny Garcia was in the weight below and Mikey Garcia, a couple of weights below. Uh, they don't really have any business being in the welterweight division. I've already said that, and I and I believe that if you want to really get a big marquee name, then they would be the other names our target. Keith Furman's a bit. I mean, he's he's been inactive, but I don't know if Keith Furman would really be interested in going anywhere near Ben. To be fair, um, and then you guess on the back end. I mean, how long's he going to be out? He's had a, another a, a terrible eye injury, like Kel Brook had. So, um, unless you want to really go for it and you go with an, an Ortiz Junior or a Boots Ennis. You know, that 
they're dangerous fights. And you, the fact that Garcia and Ennis, um, not Garcia, sorry, Ortiz and Ennis ain't even going near Avienzian. Avienzian's just one of those guys that people look at and think it is this, the simple cliche of boxing at the moment and it's high risk and very low reward. Uh, as you said, Avienzi and Ben would sell, uh, so I suppose financially viable for Ben, and I'm sure Ben would take the fight. I think Ben would fight anybody, but you've got to be careful. You know, he, he's, he's, he's cut from the same cloth as his old man. He'll fight anyone, but you, you need to have a good team around you. I mean, Cody Crowley, he won a good, decent performance against another old guy himself. You know, he, he's tapping on the door and he's mentioning he wants some big fights. He's another guy potentially, but, you know, Southpaw, tricky, younger, um, like a young up-and-coming fighter. Then, you know, Ben and Crowley could be a good fight. Um, but there are fights there. It's just how much you want to risk it. I think Avienzian is too dangerous at this moment in time. We see it with Josh Kelly. I think the same thing happens with Ben, to be honest with you. Um, unless he gets a lucky blow in and gets rid of Avienzian, which can happen. But... For me, I think that's just too risky. I actually think Mikey or Danny Garcia, if you really want a big name, is probably less risk than Avienzian. Well, just as a side note, Josh Kelly is returning to the ring. He is actually fighting on the undercard of Linus Eudofia and Denzel Bentley's vacant British middleweight title on the 13th of May. Doesn't suggest that he is fighting at welterweight. I would assume he is at the moment, but he's not ranked at all in the top 10 in the UK welterweight. He obviously, well, he's been yeah. active, hasn't he? Like you say, he's not he's not fought for, for, for quite a while since he lost to Avenencian in 2021. Yeah. So they, they've kind of, with other fighters being active, they've put him out of that top 10. But, you know, that could be a potential fight down the line. He was spoke about only two years ago about that being a future fight as well. So I wouldn't rule that out. But I think because of where Conor Ben is and how active he has been, his career has yeah. surpassed Josh Kelly's. So naturally, that fight to me kind of feels a bit of a step down at this moment in time. So... Mikey Garcia. Just, it, just, so it just shows you within sort of 12 months how easily it changes. I mean, I'd say 12 months ago before Conor Ben went on this great little run and his four victories, you'd probably say Josh Kelly, before the Aviencian fight, was above Ben. He has that one loss. Conor has his great wins. And now all of a sudden, like, for you know, for his the way he's progressing, it, it just shows you within 12 months how quickly this boxing turns around. It's, 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 it's crazy. Yeah, no, you're right, and I'm glad you you interrupted me to to make that point because it is you are right. You think about it in in the case of twelve months, fourteen months since he lost. Look at what Conor Ben's done in fourteen months, and look at where his career is and the trajectory of it is. It's a very good point to activity make. Activity is the key. Yep, exactly. Activity is the key. So there has been a few fights proposed for him. I'm not entirely sure which one they're going to go down. The one that would make me happy personally would be Avenencian, but I understand why they wouldn't want to go near him. They've even talked about Adrian Broner, which again, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's laughable. Yeah, it's laughable. You're right to laugh about it because it's laughable. It's not the fight that needs to happen. Uh, that's, that's for me, he needs to be dead out of the water. I mean, he needs to be looking at more opponents that are live opponents, that are not past the best opponents. Fight somebody out of the top 10 in the UK. You know, if you, if you want to, take that right progression and that right step like we've been saying for the last 18 months fight somebody in the top 10 have a great fight with somebody Conor Ben is is more of the marquee name now he will fill out arenas regardless of who he's fighting and that's what Lukey was making a point of they've built this hype around him now after 2021 fights that hype is there Conor Ben will fill out the arenas in the UK and eventually I'd expect stadiums as well 
But for now, they need to get more live opponents in the ring with him to help his progression, to move him forward, to see where he can go in the next two years. Because I think in the next two years, we ain't going to see Crawford or Spence in 147. Um, possibly even Furman at that point. So who's going to be around then? It's going to be the likes of Virgil Ortiz, this Cody, Cody Crowley. You've got Jaron Boots Ennis, Connor Ben. Obviously, these these are the names that are going to be sitting pretty at the top of that welterweight division, in in my opinion. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot to think about with with where his career goes next, and, and I'm looking forward to it to see where it goes because you know obviously we've supported his dad for for a long time growing up so for us it's it's like the second coming in some ways and he's living up to the hype so far so yeah it's great and i'm going to move on because i think we've sort of spoke a lot about Conor Ben. we've spoke a lot about errol spence and crawford and just sort of rounding up the rest of that particular card chris billam smith getting they ko over tommy mccarthy in the eighth round it was a great fight again. Uh, another enjoyable yeah. fight. I did say Chris Bill and Smith would win this fight. I predicted it and I was spot on. I did feel he had Tommy McCarthy's number in the last fight. Although it was a close decision in the last fight, he may he left he left nothing nothing to be said about this fight. He he emphatically stopped him. He got the victory and he needs to move forward now, Bill and Smith. I've said about the cruiserweight division being as active with British fighters as it is at the moment and, and with the impending departure probably in the next year or so of Lawrence Coli from that, one of these British fighters is going to have to step up and, and look at challenging for world titles. I know Jack Massey has the IBO version, which is a little bit less regarded than the main four, but you know the likes of Chris Billum Smith and Richard Reactpour and people we've spoken about over the past month or so, these are the fighters that are going to be pushing on from our perspective to, to world honours. And I think Chris Billum Smith has done things the natural way. He's got the European Cruiserweight title, the Commonwealth Cruiserweight title. He's he's been he's, he's been there and fought for for the British title as well. So for me, do you know I think he's ready for world level now after seeing that performance and seeing where he's at and the adjustments he's made since that split decision loss to Richard Reactpour. I think he's ready for world level. I think so, and, and I was really impressed with Bill and Smith. I, I I was surprised he got the knockout though. Actually, I thought um, McCarthy. Although you're right, he he uh, he it showed with Bill and Smith in that first fight. You know, he got rocked early, and then uh, McCarthy began really like trying to find that power punch. And in the end, he probably lost those rounds, and then that's why the fight became a bit closer. Uh, and but Bill and Smith pretty much took control, and 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 this fight, I thought it was much better. He imposed himself on McCarthy. McCarthy just was unable to really do anything to to to, to keep him off. He landed a few good digs, cut a good right hands, uh, which Bill and Smith took well. Uh, it showed he's got a decent chin as well, Billum, because you know these big guys, you know McCarthy can bang a bit as well. And uh, but it was a, a emphatic uh, finish from him. Really pleased for, for for Chris. But as you say, I think you know when you look at the guys sort of from our shores, Lawrence O'Coley, Richard Riatpour, Chris Billum Smith, and even Isaac Chamberlain, who we all know lost that terrible fight against O'Coley a few years ago. He's gradually found his form and, and starting to make his his name known again. Uh, I think maybe Isaac should be looking at um, a few of the other fellas, like a Massey or something like that. But for those three, Billum Smith, Riatpour and Lawrence O'Coley, O'Coley's obviously far away, but Riatpour, Billum Smith, they fought once, Riatpour got the win, maybe they could fight again. But, you know, they really want to be pushing for world titles. They really do. And, and as you say, how long's O'Coley got? We'll find out. 
you know, if uh, with with Breedus, Marius Breedus, he's he's he should be fighting him. Breedus come over and watch the fight. Um, Breedus uh, won his fight in October um, against what was it? Was it? Yeah, it was October against Arta Man. Look, I think the chances are that um, it happens with Breedus and Akoli, and then Billum Smith and Riyad Poor can can look to try and pick up the pieces when I think Akoli moves up. But it's great. I mean, with, with the on these shores, our cruiserweights are literally top level uh european level or world level and it's great to see i mean it, the cruiserweight division was never fantastic for us we never used to have so many fighters and now i've got like a whole load and, it, and it's just great it's a great division for us domestically in a way so the rest of that card was combined with alicia baumgardner's defense of the wbc ibo titles uh, matisse failed to make the weight before that fight so the titles were obviously only for baumgardner she got the unanimous decision in that fight against matisse in the cruiserweight division another cruiserweight that gets not spoken about like he should be jordan thompson got a great ko victory against mariano angel guidino over that particular card as well and i said to lukey on the preview you know this is a fighter in the cruiserweight division you need to look out for and he spoke about how how it is a little bit of a no man's land and i understood you know sort of the analogy behind that and we've just spoke about bill and smith and react poor and obviously how there's a big plethora of british fighters coming up jordan thompson's another guy in cruiserweight he's now 13 and 0 and he's going to be in a big fight soon. He needs a big fight soon. He's he's a great fighter in the cruiserweight division. We're going to see some really good domestic cruiserweight matchups. And hopefully, Jordan Thompson will feature in them. Because I know he's been plagued with injuries. He's had time out of the ring. But he keeps coming back and he keeps proving that he is a force to be reckoned with. And then we have the light heavyweight Jack Cullen, who got his victory over eight rounds. Thomas Whitaker-Hart, Campbell Hatton, Luke Evans, James Metcalf, all four on that card. Campbell Hatton, I must say, looked a much more improved fighter in his six-round points victory. Luke Evans got the last-minute call-up to fight on this show in the Super Lightweight division, got a frustrating draw against his opponent over six rounds, and then the return of James Metcalf, this time up at the middleweight division. He's moved up from super welterweight to middleweight and got a TKO in the fifth round. So that was the sum of the rest of that card. I've enjoyed this weekend's action, but there was another fight on this weekend that I didn't really emphasize too much on which was the Gavin Gwynn fight and Luke Willis Gavin Gwynn becoming the British champion as well as the Commonwealth title as well and you mentioned the Sam Gilly Drew Brown fight such an underrated fight such a fight that nobody will have really thought about being the fight that it was and it turned out to be a contender for British fight of the year absolutely Drew Brown had not been active recently but yet he came off the back of that inactivity and he gave Sam Gillett one hell of a fight. You mentioned it at the top of the show, Johnston. Just tell our listeners, like, describe how good of a fight it was to them because if you haven't watched it, you should go and watch it. Oh, my goodness me. Um, look, let's put it right. I mean, again, the super well-weight division produces another belter. Um, so many times the super well-weight division just, just produces these classics and... And Drew Brown, as you say, had had been inactive and he gave Sam Gilly hell. Uh, they both did. It was just a, a, an absolute tear up uh, for nine rounds. Uh, that's basically what it was. Um, both from getting rocked, just unleashing everything that they possibly can on each other. 
Um, uh, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't anything majorly technical about the fight. We're talking about just heart and spirit and resolve and, and all those cliche words you want to use when you're getting smashed in the face plenty plenty of times and, and surviving it. And um, But wow, I mean, an absolute belter. Sam Gilly and Drew Brand produced an absolute belter of a fight. And uh, yeah, it, it, again, it's Dan as another fight of the year. We are getting these often. It seems like we do get these, uh, especially in this weight class. It's just, it just seems to bring the best out of fighters. This one was for the English Super Welterweight. And um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, go and have a look. It is just beautiful, beautiful to watch. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed every single minute that they punched each other's faces in it. And credit <laughs> to both guys. They show great spirit. And um, look, we love technical fights. You know, just mentioning Errol Spence and Crawford, how beautifully technical that's going to be. It's fascinating. Forget that. That goes out the window. Drew Brown and Sam Giddy just produced a, a, a fanatic fight, mate. Uh, uh, just, I, I mean, you can't help but love them. And, uh, yeah, you know, they both come out of it absolutely fine by the sounds of things, which is great. Uh, but, wow, what, what, what a finish and what a fight. So, on the card that was on BT Sport, Jason Cunningham, Put a really great performance in, a really good performance to get a KO over his opponent, Terry L.A. Coviar, for the IBF and European titles, which were on the line at the time. He had Coviar down in rounds two, three, and six, all from body punching. Now, this is the same Jason Cunningham that has got that six losses on his record, and he's lost to some great fighters. He's lost to Michael Conlon, Jordan Gill, Reese Bellotti throughout his career, Cal Yafai throughout his career. He's been in with some of the great fighters in the divisions below in this particular division, but yet he comes back and he's, what you say, Johnson, he's been on his purple patch recently. Uh, <laughs> getting that victory over Brad Foster last year was, was a really good victory. He got the victory over Gamalia Fai also last year, and this time gets this great victory here over Le Coviar, and now moves forward within his career, and you know, not too long ago, people were looking at him and thinking, you know, he's just, he's like a benchmark for fighters like your Conlons and like your EFIs to come up against. And what he's done here is he's proven again that you cannot write any single fighter off because, you know, if they get themselves into that position, dedicated, motivated, every sort of support that they need behind them to, to get a good run at the career, this just proves yet again that this can really happen. It really can, and I'm really happy for him. And I know looking at social media the following day, uh, he's found out he's going to be a dad again. So congratulations to Jason there because, you know, that's some great news for him. Off the back of having a great victory, he also finds out he's becoming a dad. So that was a great victory for him. Uh, Andrew Kane in the Super Bantamweight division also moves to 9-0, and getting a TKO in the first round over Pablo Ariel Gomez. Nathan Heaney, the man from Stoke, getting a lot of hype and bringing a really good fan base behind him. He got dropped in the first round for the first time in his career, but went on to get a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Diego Ramirez. Uh, quite a refreshing post-fight interview from him as well. He mentioned about how he needs to do a lot more before he steps up in levels. He needs a lot more work to go into it, and it was nice to see that because at now 15-0, you know, people might start to say, you know, you need to be pushing yourself forward now. You need to be moving forward now. 
and he's already identified that he needs more work. He needs to step up gradually. He needs certain fights before he can really push himself. And it's nice, it's nice to see when a fighter does acknowledge that as opposed to letting the promoter do the talking and saying, oh, we're going to push him into this fight and that fight. Nathan Heaney come out and actually said, I need to do this work before I can move forward. And he acknowledged that. And like I say, it's, it's refreshing to see that from, from fighters in the position that he's in at the moment. Uh, Saturday night also, I don't know if anybody caught it, the, the the tournament, the boxer tournament that was on Sky Sports. I think that was another one that was getting a little bit overlooked because of the fact that you had the DAZN card on with Conor Ben headlining. Now, I watched a little bit of this. Uh, I managed to catch a few of the fights on here, but I mainly tuned in for the final, which was Ryland Charlton against Dylan Chima, who moved to 5-0 and Dylan Chima by beating Ryland Charlton over the three-round distance that they have for the tournament and, and becoming the, uh, the boxer champion for the lightweight division. A guy who I genuinely didn't really know much about in, in Dylan Chima, from being totally honest. You know, he only started his career last October, and now in the space of less than a year, he's become the boxer lightweight champion. And, you know, he progresses his career forward quite quickly as well. As a result of this, he'll, he'll definitely get some more fights going forward. But Ryland Charlton, you know, he, as a fighter that we've seen, had some great fights. We, we've seen him have the fights with Luke Willis in 2021, Florian Marku, he beat Joe Laws. You know, he got that shock victory over Joe Laws in 2020. He'll definitely return. You've got to think about these tournaments, guys, and think that they are only three-round fights. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, he's took a chance to try and progress his career a little bit further forward, and he didn't pay off for him. But I think he's just shown that he's still got a lot to give in the lightweight division. Uh, they were the main fights then over the weekend. I don't know if anybody had the chance to tune into all of them, but if you didn't, please do go and check some of them out because they were well worth watching. Johnston, uh, any more additions to this Big fight reaction episode. Any final thoughts on Spence Crawford and Conor Ben's future? Oh, I mean, look, it was it, I entertaining fight. I mean, the Spence Junior and Hugo's fight, I really enjoyed it. As I said, I managed to watch it twice. Um, that's how much I enjoyed it. Um, I was more particular just to watch Spence Junior, um, just to see sort of I see those flaws and I, and I do worry about him going forward. Happy with Conor. I don't really know too much more about Conor. Just the fact that he's on a mission to go for a world title. Um, and he's, you know, he's progressing well. It's just a matter of where he goes. We've spoken massive detail about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the one thing I will say is uh, the one thing that annoyed me, but then he sort of recovered, um, was Isaac Cruz when he came in well overweight for the Gamboa fight. He's, he, he took himself away and then came back to um, to make weight, uh, which was great to see. I was, uh, if he hadn't of, I would have probably... You know, we talk about three-minute rant. I think I would have definitely had a three-minute rant about that. <laughs> um, so, thankfully, he didn't. Um, but it did get me thinking about this: uh, these fighters that miss weights. And sort of, I came up with a theory just to end the show. My theory is, you know, if, if a guy misses weight, for me, I think it should be that the other guy, who, you know, say, for instance, Cruz did come back and he's still overweight. I think Gamboa should then be given a victory straight up without even no hesitation Cruz loses his fight gets a loss on his record and he gets fined sort of 50% of his purse and then you it's, it's I know people have paid to watch it and I know these big companies and you know whether it, whether it promoters are paying a lot of money for this to be the chief support to the main fight but I think that is the kind of thing that will then change opinions on certain fighters 
look, I'm not knocking Cruz. He came back, you know, give him the opportunity to get back into weight and then fight at that weight. Great, he did that. Fantastic. But it's those ones. We've, we've mentioned it a few times. They need to stamp down on that, and they really do. They should just literally give them a loss and lose 50% of their purses. The next time they are even thought about being put on a bill, a promoter may think again. Fans may think again about buying tickets. And also, when you do come in overweight, the, the pressure of the fans being there and watching it and you don't make weight, they will put added pressure on you. And I think that will help. I think personally, I think it's just a theory, but I honestly feel that something needs to be done with it. But no, I, I was good. I was planning the rant, Sean. As soon as this <laughs> happened, I was, like, I was planning this in my head. I'm going to mention this because I don't think he's going to come back and make the weight. He did. So credit to him. But yeah, just a, just my three minute moan is just these fighters need to make weight. And, it, and if they don't, they need to penalise them heavily. Well, they need to penalise them more than what they do. I, th- I think that's one thing. Yeah, you can take away yep. a percentage of a fighter's purse, but is that enough? You know, especially for the repeat offenders, which there are quite a few repeat offenders out there that continue to fail to make way on multiple take occasions. Take them off the bill as well. Take them off the bill. Literally, even if they're the main headline, take them off the bill. It does mean these these big corporate, you know, whether it be the promoter, or whether it be the, whoever's uh, got the coverage, whether it be Showtime or Sky, they're going to lose money. It doesn't. I think the fact is, people will then start thinking about putting these fires. If you literally take them off the bill, and it's one time as well, one you get one chance. Like you know, if you think I mean, look, I love boxing, I love football. Athletics is is one of my favourite sports as well, and especially the hundred metres, the blue ribbon event. If someone falls starts, they're out. Back in the day when we were watching athletics with Olympic Christie and all them all them fellas, they used to get your little yellow card, didn't they? And then it would be the second time. Then you know if it's another full start then you're at one time you miss weight one time you're off the bill your per half your purse is gone and you've got a loss on your record i think seriously i think it's a theory that i think that if if you want to really crack down on it then I, what you're also going to see is you're going to see fighters that won't be fighting at particular weights to boil themselves down anymore and i think it just gives you know gives these fighters an unfair advantage uh look i, I, I it came to my mind because isaac cruz almost missed weight he did come back and get it but it's so frustrating when I hear it and I think it's just negligence on the fighter and the team around the fighter's part. Well, I think there's definitely something that needs to be done about it. I, I'm not disagreeing there. Logically, what could happen, maybe more more sanctions could go in place against the fighters. Maybe they could be banned for six months, 12 months, whatever, yeah. out of the sport rather than taking the loss on the record. There are definitely ways and means of changing things that will be a bit more logical. But I agree with what you're saying. Uh, it is a it is a bit of a rant. It is a three minute moan because you know these things do need to change in the sport, and it also it helps with like you say, people not having to boil down to make weight if they're really struggling to make that weight. Move up a weight. Simple as that. Move up the weight. Don't don't struggle. Don't kill yourself to do it. Move up a weight. Go for opportunities in a further weight. Make it more of a level playing field yep. rather than making it a a ridiculous playing field when you're coming in 15, 20 pounds heavier on the night after weighing in. You know, which is what happens a lot of the times, which is why they have these rehydration clauses in contracts. Not to go all boxing boring on you, but it's true. It's why they have them in place. <laughs> it's why they have them there. Take away all that aspect of it and you get more of a level playing field. I, I genuinely think it is a good point to make and I'd be interested to know what other people think about it and, and logically how how you could combat that more than what they already tried to. 
But that's it. That's this episode. That's just the big fight reaction. Our thoughts on Spence and Ugas and his potential future fight with Crawford. Conor Ben's next fight. Who's it going to be? Who can he fight next? And, of course, the rest of the fights from the weekend have been covered. We hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, let us know on social media at BTR Boxing Pod, on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube also. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you for the big fight preview for Tyson Fury versus Dillian White. Podcast Network.